0: This is Africa News Tonight on the Voice of America.
1: Hello, welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Peter Cloutier. Here's what's coming up:
2: Blocking off the Suez Canal route is going to impact every conceivable item you see around you. It's going to be delayed. It's going to be more costly to bring it there.
1: That's Lars Jensen, CEO of Vaspuchi Maritime, a global shipping consultancy on the potential impact of disruptions of shipping through the Suez Canal because so many imported items go through it. Also, Liberia installed Joseph Boakai as the new president today amid high expectations. And U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken began a four-nation tour in Africa. All this and more coming up on African News Tonight. Liberia has installed Joseph Boakai as the new president at a ceremony today in the capital Monrovia. He takes over from George Weah, who he defeated in the November runoff presidential election. Political observers say expectations are high for the new president to keep his promise to unite the country, improve living standards, weed out corruption and create jobs for the youth. For more reaction and expectations of the incoming president and his administration, I reached reporter Denise Nipson in the Liberian capital Monrovia.
3: His major message today, President Boakai spoke on the issue of rule of law, and he said that it won't be our business as usual. That the broken system and all of those issues that Liberians are confronted with will be handled as it relates to the growth and development of the country. He also spoke on the issue of unity, that Liberians should unite, that election is over. Now it is time for Liberians to work in the interest of um, their nation. He also spoke about the issue of drugs as it relates to the youth involvement in illicit drugs, the intake of illicit drugs. So he stressed the need to work on that. He also stressed the need of education the health system and the economy.
1: How was the atmosphere during the swearing in ceremony as well as when he delivered the speech? How was he accepted? So the swearing in ceremony was
3: full of excitement um, as it related to those who are even attending the program and were excited in terms of his induction, taking in the oath to become as the president of Liberia. There was a moment um, that the ceremony came to a standstill because the president could not continue with his speech. He had a color point um, at some point in time where they, they had to call for um, water. They had to call for for breeze, um to ensure that he can, you know, rest a bit. So the entire program, I can say. It did not go the normal way. It was disrupted because of the president's um, ability or not to continue the speech that was waiting.
1: What is the reaction about it?
3: People are worried, um, looking at the way in which he was caught up in terms of the delivery of his speech and they have to go and rush on him to ensure that he receives, you know, um, ventilation and energy to continue. They had to putting on the seat to sit and all of that. So some Liberians now are talking uh, in their own um, gathering at the moment that uh, perhaps what has been said is what has been witnessed. Others are saying that this speech was so long, it was too long for the president um, to, to, to have delivered that, taking into consideration his age and taking into consideration what has been said there was a need that those who crafted the speech would have taken all of that into consideration to ensure that they have a shot of speech that he would have delivered to have the program, you know, going away as usual, how it should have ended.
1: Denise, I know a lot of uh, West African heads of state and government were present at the ceremony, but what are the expectations of Liberians? after they chose him to take over from Georgia who uh, handed over power.
3: The expectation of Liberians who we spoke to um, with the issue of corruption, there's a concern to address the issue of corruption um, that has been for so long in the country, Liberians have been talking about. All also saying that the issue of drugs, there are a lot of young people who are involved into the intake of illicit drugs, Um, ruining their future. Um, So like some Liberians are hopeful that the administration of President Bwakai will ensure that they can work on the issue of illicit jobs that is uh, all part of the country now as they relate to the future of the young people. Others also said there's a need to ensure that the roles are rehabilitated, the roles are constructed to ensure that those who are in the rural areas can be able to trade, to have full sufficient in the country, to have the economy booming, and to ensure that there are jobs, because yes, um, the issue of unemployment is a concern as well, as Liberians have been speaking, and they have stressed the need to ensure that there can be employment for the youth, and also elderly Liberians, because vast majority of the youth are unemployed, so they are calling on, or their expectation is to ensure that those things are settled as this government takes um seats and also the issue of education and the broken down health system as well these are things that liberians have been talking about their expectations to ensure that these things can be worked on as the Bwaka administration takes on the leadership on today
1: that was reporter denise nipson speaking with me from the liberian capital monrovia In the Democratic Republic of Congo, incumbent President Felix Chisikedi was officially installed for a second five-year term at a ceremony in the capital, Kinshasa, Saturday. The Supreme Court endorsed the results over the objections of opponents who rejected the outcome of the December 20 presidential poll, saying it was fraught with voter irregularities and lack of transparency. Chisekedi campaigned strongly on his first term achievements, such as free primary medication, asking for another mandate to consolidate the progress. Economists say the global food supply is under pressure and food prices are expected to rise soon because of unrest in the Red Sea. Houthi militants supported by Iran are attacking ships in the region. They say they are responding to Israel's military action in Gaza.
2: Darren Taylor reports. The Red Sea crisis has cut cargo vessels off from a key trade route linking Europe and North America with Asia via the Suez Canal. That route accounts for about 10% of global GDP. Major shippers are now sending their vessels, many loaded with foodstuffs, down Africa's east coast and around South Africa. It's a safer, but much longer and more expensive route. But inadequate infrastructure and other factors mean the ships are enduring long delays at African ports where they need to refuel and restock supplies. Lars Jensen is CEO of Vespucci Maritime, a Copenhagen-based global shipping consultancy. If you go down to your usual supermarket or hardware store, even if you sit at home, take a look around. And I bet you virtually everything you see around you have been moved in a container. And a large amount of that has been moved in a container that moved through the Suez Canal. So... Blocking off the Suez Canal route is going to impact every conceivable item you see around you. It's going to be delayed. It's going to be more costly to bring it there. The International Food Policy Research Institute says the crisis is disrupting shipments of grains from Russia and Ukraine and other food like meat, dairy and wine from Europe. It says this will likely raise the costs of imported products for consumers and prices paid to producers will fall a scenario posing risks to already fragile food security in some countries, particularly those dependent on food imports. Instead of using the short route through the Suez Canal, European fruit exporters like Italy and Spain that supply Asia have to send shipments around Africa. But the continent's most developed ports in South Africa are currently chaotic, their services eroded by years of corruption and neglect. One of the country's top economists, Azar Jamin, tells VOA this is forcing ships to reroute to smaller ports such as Maputo, causing further delays and the risk of fresh produce perishing.
3: Not only Maputo, but some of the other southern African ports have been gearing up their facilities precisely in order to take advantage of the malaise that South African logistics is actually in. They are upgrading ports all around the continent to facilitate an increased passage of trade. South Africa is then going to have to fight to get its role back again if and when it ever gets its ports back in order.
2: South Africa's state transport and ports agency, Transnet, acknowledges that management of the country's harbours was poor in the past. It says it's going to take a long time and a lot of money to improve port infrastructure and services. In the meantime, says Transnet, scores of rerouted ships are waiting up to a week to enter congested harbours. Maritime expert at the Institute for Security Studies in Pretoria, Tim Walker, says American and British airstrikes on Houthi targets in Yemen have not deterred the militants from attacking ships on the Red Sea. It looks like this is going to continue for a long while, and indeed the number of ships and the type of ships might expand as well. And the more that the Houthis broaden what they feel are legitimate targets, the worse it ultimately will become in the long run. The cost of bringing things to Africa and landlocked countries like Zimbabwe or or Lesotho will only increase as well. Global shipping costs have increased by 23% since the beginning of the Red Sea crisis, another factor expected to drive up prices of imported food and other commodities. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg.
1: U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken met today with Verde Prime Minister Ulysses Korea E. Silva as the top U.S. diplomat began a four nation tour in Africa. Prime Minister, you said something very powerful that I just want to repeat, uh, and that is that your true source of wealth, of richness, um, is in the peace, security, stability, and democracy that Cabo Verde enjoys. And we want to leverage those strengths
3: uh, to uh, the benefit of Cubans, but also Americans,
2: and,
1: in fact, the entire world. Blinken's itinerary also includes a visit to the port city of Porto de Paria which received funding for modernization efforts from the U.S. government's Millennium Challenge Corporation and attending the Africa Cup of Nations football match between Ivory Coast and Equatorial Guinea. Blinken's trip also includes stops in Ivory Coast, Nigeria and Angola. U.S. State Department spokesperson Matthew Miller said ahead of the trip that Blinken would emphasize U.S. infrastructure investment in Africa as a way to, quote, boost two-way trade, create jobs at home and on the continent, and help Africa compete in the global marketplace. And you are listening to Africa News Tonight. I'm Peter Clote in Washington. For more information on these and other stories from the continent, please see VOAAfrica.com. There you will find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more for world news. Check out VOAnews.com. In Ivory Coast, several games are being played today at the ongoing AFCON tournament. The outcomes of the matches will determine which of the teams will qualify for the next stage of the tournament. For the latest update of the AFCON, I reach Mogbil Yabaru, who is on a special assignment to cover the tournament.
0: Today, we will have uh, four games that will be played in Abidjan. Uh, Guinea-Bissau versus Nigeria uh, will be playing at 5 p.m. Abidjan time. Uh, Equatorial Guinea will be playing Ivory Coast. And then uh, Mozambique, Ghana, and Cape Verde, Egypt will both be pl- being played at 8 p.m. Um, each. So two uh, stadiums in Abidjan will be having two games being played, one at 5 p.m. Uh, and another one at 8. So yeah, it's going to be excitement all around. Quebec and Senegal are through to the
1: next stage. In your estimation, or from the people you've spoken to,
0: have they been the strongest team so far in this tournament? I would say yes. I think Senegal more so, but Cape Verde, you cannot really, uh, you know, disregard the fact that they've won two games uh, decisively. Uh, and to be honest with you, they're going to be playing Egypt uh, today, and. I have a you know if I was to be uh guessing I would think that because they have 6 points and they are at the top of their group um coaching staff may decide to rest some of their key players because they are already through to the to the next round from their group group B. They have 6 points at the moment. Egypt has 2 with two draws. Ghana and Mozambique both have 1 point with a draw and a loss each. So Cape Verde, even if Egypt beats them, Egypt will still only have uh, five points with that win. Cape Verde's still at the top of that group. Mogbile, I've seen some Ghanaian fan base angry at
1: their team. I've seen Cameroonian fan base uh, very upset with the performance of the team. But in your estimation, which of the fan bases of these bigger teams seem the most upset with their team's performance
0: at this ongoing AFCON. The two that you've mentioned, absolutely, uh, you know, Cameroon being, you know, one of the top uh, historical African figures uh, in this tournament and in football in general, having won the AFCON five times, uh, that's a huge, uh, you know, it's been very, very, uh, there's been a lot of vocal Um, disappointment coming from a lot of Cameroonian fans. Uh, I will say Egypt, even though Egypt has somehow escaped, really, it's almost like some kind of a magician's, uh, the, the type of magic they've been able to do in order to get those two draws because in both games that they drew, they realistically, they didn't play a better game than their opposition and were just lucky to come away with draws. And then also having, on top of that, Mohamed Salah, Mo Salah, being injured in that Ghana game early on uh, does not help them moving forward either. So Egypt, Egyptian fans, I'm sure, uh, feel a type of way. Uh, I would say Algerian fans have shown a lot of, you know, dismay, uh, you know, getting two draws as well. Uh, when they almost lost against Burkina Faso in that second game. Um, another team, Tunisia, right, with one draw and a loss. They, they, they're they another fan base. So interestingly enough, Peter, I would say mainly the North African teams came into this AFCON being ranked extremely high. You know, majority of them, I think, if not all of them, were ranked top six and under, uh, so for them to be going through what they're going through right now, is, it's, it's very interesting to see. Even Morocco, you know, Morocco uh, played excellent uh, in the latest uh, World Cup, but they won their first game. Second game was not so, you know, was not such a great performance by them either. Uh, they ended up drawing with uh, DR Congo, uh, 1-1. So this has been a very, very interesting AFCON a lot of teams that people may not have expected to be winning are winning, uh, and a lot of the bigger teams are really not showing up to what people had predicted. Are there any other interesting things happening while you've been out there? Uh, random fact: I was, uh, you know, wearing an Arsenal jersey yesterday and happened to be at a uh, at a lunch, uh, you know, that we were invited to. And I ran into a former Arsenal player, Ivorian, uh, legendary player, Jervinho. Uh, it was so funny because him and I were talking for a bit. I was like, well, what are the odds of me meeting you while wearing this jersey? You know, <laughs> it's my first time pulling the jersey out all trip. So it, it, it was fun, you know, uh, random fact, but it was it was definitely a pleasure. He great guy.
1: That was viewers, Mugbe Yabro speaking with me from the AFCON tournament in Ivory Coast. Congolese authorities say a truck driving at high speed ran out of control and plunged into a ravine in a southwestern region of the country. The Associated Press reports that 18 passengers were killed and more than a score of others were injured. A police officer said the truck was filled with goods and carrying many passengers as it traveled along a major highway in Congo Central District on Sunday. The small northeastern U.S. state of New Hampshire holds its presidential primary Tuesday. The state, which prides itself on independence and creating havoc, takes on added interest with Sunday's news that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis ended his campaign, making it a two-person Republican contest. Viewers Caron pursued to there and explains how the granite state could turn politics upside down on Tuesday.
4: Not what you'd expect to hear hours before a presidential primary. But this is the quirky state of New Hampshire, where President Joe Biden is not on Tuesday's ballot. A move by national Democratic leaders, which some, like former state Democratic Party chair Kathy Sullivan, consider a snub.
3: People said we're going to put that aside and we're going to support Joe Biden because we all know Donald Trump is going to be the nominee. And the most important thing we can do to save democracy is to stop Donald Trump. This is from
0: uh 1992 convention.
4: Ray Buckley so, chairs the New Hampshire Democratic Party. But on Tuesday, Biden will not get his vote.
0: Since my election as chair, I've written in Jimmy Carter every single time uh, to show that I am completely uh, uh, unbiased.
4: Buckley has voted for Democratic incumbent presidents in the past, but this time...
0: We were in shock and stunned.
4: The Democratic National Committee demoted New Hampshire from its historic spot as the first state primary in favor of South Carolina with its more diverse voters. Angry state party officials scheduled the primary anyway.
3: We are going to the polls on Tuesday.
4: On the Republican side, a different kind of drama. In a frigid minus 10 degrees Celsius, people in Down parkas shiver and move closer to each other in a line that extends around the block. The Donald Trump rally doesn't begin for another four hours.
0: We love the Trumpster. He's uh, He fights for us. How many wars did we have when he was president? Everybody was happy. Everybody was making money.
4: Former President Donald Trump is pulling in the crowds at his rallies and polling at just over 50 percent among New Hampshire voters. Former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley is at 35 percent in the Boston Globe poll. She needs to
1: sway me, so I'm open-minded to whatever it is she has to say.
4: Like Denise Motmany, many in line to see Haley are independents or Democrats who can vote on a Republican ballot here. Registered independent voter Isaac Geer is here to decide if Haley gets his vote over Trump.
0: I'd like to hear um, a little less war hawkish rhetoric from her um, in terms of her stance on Ukraine and uh, Israel-Palestine conflict.
4: Analysts say New Hampshire Republicans who are fiscal conservatives interested in lower taxes and smaller government could be Haley's last chance to stop Trump. Chris Gaudieri is a political science professor at St. Anselm College.
0: If she can't in a state that is tailor-made for that, um, I think it's fair to ask, well, what is the next step? What is the state where she will have another chance to beat Trump? And the number of states I can come up with is a very, very, very short one.
4: On Tuesday night, we find out whether New Hampshire voters offer any surprises. Carolyn Prasuti, VOA News, Manchester, New Hampshire.
1: Cameroon today launched the first malaria vaccination program to be offered nationwide in an effort the World Health Organization describes as historic. The mosquito-borne disease kills more than 600,000 people a year, mainly in Africa, according to the World Health Organization. Children under five years old account for more than 80% of deaths on the continent. Following a pilot phase, the RTSS vaccine is being rolled out across Africa. The French news agency AFP says Cameroon is the first large-scale and systematic program in the world. Burkina Faso, Liberia, Niger, and Sierra Leone are set to follow.
0: Join your host, Larry London, for Border Crossings, VOA's Worldwide Music Request Hour, every weekday at 1500 Universal. Tune in to hear your favorite songs and artists, win prizes and giveaways, and get the latest scoop from exclusive celebrity interviews. Send in requests to our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Or call 202-618-2077 to have your favorite music played for the entire world. Don't miss Border Crossings every weekday at 1500 Universal.
1: And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Peter Clote in Washington. For all the latest development on the continent 24-7, visit our website at viewafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, David Vandy, and our engineer, Kayla Williams, thanks for choosing the voice of America.